Hi, I'm your host, Anthony Giorgio, and you're listening to another episode of QT, Queer Teen Podcast, encouraging the next generation of queer youth from across the world to stand up for what's right. Hey everyone, this is a great episode. Welcome to this week's episode. Again, I'm super excited to keep talking to all these amazing humans all over the world about their religion and how they are um, developing inside of their faith and who they are. And so my next guest I found on the internet and I'm super excited for them to introduce you, uh, to introduce themselves to you and the world. So take it away. All right. Uh, first of all, I'm so pleased to be here. Thanks for asking me. Thanks for listening. Uh, I'm Rabbi Lisa Greshko. I use uh, she, her pronouns. I am a rabbi of the Reform Synagogue in Montreal, Quebec. Uh, Canadian born and bred, but spent lots of time in the States and some time in England, some time in Israel. I've uh, been really fortunate that way. Um, so I'm the senior rabbi of a pretty big congregation, around 800 households. Um, and I grew up in a movement within Judaism that at the time that I was growing up and wanting to be a rabbi did not ordain folks who were LGBTQ. Um, so one of the big parts of my story was shifting within my religion to a place that, that would accept me, that would welcome me, that would give me room to do what I felt like was my, was my calling and, and what I love to do. Um, and although I serve a really diverse mixed community, so it's, it's queer, it's straight, it's young, it's old. Um, one of the things I always remember is that when I was growing up, there was no one who looked like me or had a life like the life that I have now. Um, when I was a kid or when I was a teenager, I didn't know anybody who was queer and who was a religious leader. And so um, even though as I got older, I met people who were, and I'm far from somebody who's broken ground, I really stand on the shoulders of giants. It's always been really important to me to, to be open about who I am and about what my life is, because I, I know what it's like to not, to not see yourself reflected in your faith. Yeah. Um, so a little bit about like why I, I think it's so important to, to have a great relationship with God or whomever. Um, a spiritual relationship in general is so important, and especially in the queer community, because oftentimes someone comes out of the closet and a parent kick them out. And oftentimes you do grow up in some type of household with a religious back with a religious background, or your friends do at least. And you want a place to go. Like I always wanted a place to go to to experience my own journey. And I had some experiences that weren't great. I definitely delved into a lot of things. One of them happens to be Christian. And it wasn't, I was very uncomfortable in the setting. I was told I couldn't be gay. This was when I was in my early 20s. And I just was like laughing because I was like, well, I am. I've been out since I was 16. Like, there's no way for me to not be. This is who I am. And so I had to reevaluate my journey. And for a while, God, it was nothing. I didn't, I didn't want to exist with anything. I gave it all up. I pushed it all away. And now I'm a Unitarian Universalist and I love it. And it's all encompassing. And we bring in so many types of people. 
um, to talk about all types of religion. But the bottom line for me is that God, everything to me is very godly and we all have to do this together no matter what. I mean, we're doing it. This is us. This is who we are. Um, but I was always curious about other queer people and in, in religion and specific. So this, this season specifically, I've talked to a lot of different people, but I was very curious about people in the Jewish faith. And so that's how I came across you. And I just want to know, I've read a little bit about you. Um, if you don't mind me saying you, you were married and then divorced and then married to a, a beautiful, uh, woman and you have some kids and um and you correct me if i'm wrong you're the first person this is why i think it's so amazing you're the first uh out person at a, a synagogue that didn't ever have a, a person like that for like 135 years or something like like whatever the how long it's been around and now you're you you took the reins what was that i mean what was that like like what was that like that's it what was it like Oh, that's a big question. Um, but I want to I want to respond first to something that you said that really um, moved me and that's so important to acknowledge, right, is that there's been so much harm done in the name of religion and so many queer people who have felt pushed out. And to me, that religion and spirituality at its core, you have to be able to bring your whole self, your authentic self, right? Religion, walking into a religious space shouldn't require you to lie about who you are, because how on earth are you supposed to then encounter God or even encounter other people in, a, in an honest and open way, right? Um, I feel really fortunate that even though I had to, to leave the denomination within Judaism where I felt most at home and in which I grew up, there was still somewhere for me to go. And throughout that process, there were times that I felt far from religion or from religious institutions but I never felt far from God. If anything, I would say coming out and taking that leap and making that change um, gave me a much closer experience of God than I had ever actually really had before in my life. So I, I wanna put that out there in case that's something that, that you wanna talk about, but spiritually, it was really important to my own, to my own journey. Um, in terms of coming here and being a first in some ways, you know, I'm really, it's not an accident that this is where I came. The rabbi who was here before me for, two and a half decades had really helped the congregation move forward, had celebrated um, same-sex marriages when that was still pretty unusual, even in Canada, even in Montreal. Uh, the congregation had marched at pride parades before I came along. So a lot of the, the groundwork was there. And so, you know, a lot of what I did in those first few months, that first year or two, not only as a, as a, queer woman, but as a woman, which in itself was pretty new around here, um, was just to show that the sky didn't fall, right? That that this is part of who I am, and it's deeply part of who I am, especially, obviously, my, my family, my identity. Um, and at the same time, I'm not just a rabbi for one segment of the population or, or just for the women or just for the queer folk. I mean, those would be great constituencies to serve in and of themselves. And I'm responsible for serving a whole community and, and able to do that. Because of course, people don't tend to challenge that cisgender heterosexual men can serve communities beyond cisgender heterosexual men. Uh, but for, for the rest of us, it, it sometimes takes a while to resolve that in people's minds. 
And it's so important for people going back to talking about like my specific journey and your journey and like seeing someone that you can relate to and, and is represented in front of you that is leading a congregation or a sermon, or if they're queer, if they're queer and you're a person that never thought you could go to a church or a synagogue or every, anywhere and, and have that representation and then walk in realizing that um, is so epic. It, it has such a ripple effect. You'll probably never know what that is, but it does have this amazing um, guidance for someone, um, whether or not they come up and talk to you or they don't talk to you. And even then the work that I do, it's like either they come up to me or they don't, it's totally cool. As long as I've um, lended my um, ability, you know, lended my ways to them or my ability or my experience to them. Cause I think stories are very important to, um, to- I think so too, you know, the ability to expand what we can imagine, which for me, that's a very spiritual thing too, right? I, I see God very much as having to do with possibility and becoming. Um, so the more models we have for that, mm-hmm. the better. And I think it's even helpful to people who may not say, oh, I'm queer, she's queer. Um, but people who who either have been harmed by religion, have baggage about religion, whatever it might be, it's a very it's kind of a shortcut to a way of seeing and saying, hey, maybe religion isn't what I thought it was. Maybe it's more progressive, maybe it's more inclusive, maybe it's more embracing, right? And especially here in Quebec, which is a super secular and in many ways anti-religious milieu because of the decades of domination by the Catholic church and then the pushback against that, um, you know, it's not as religious a society as many places in the States, for example. Um, I think it does help people reconceive of what what role religion can play and what it looks like. Yeah, it's an interesting, um, I didn't know that about Quebec. I've never been, I've been to Canada. I spent a month there. I'm a actual a professional dancer by trade. I was since I was 16. So I toured all over. And oh, wow. one of the places I was, was in Canada, but I was mostly in Ontario, Toronto. And then on the other side, like I wasn't real. I never went, we never went to Quebec, but um, I didn't know that about that specific place. But can you explain to people though a little bit about the Jewish faith and like the different parts to it? Because oftentimes I think people have the examples um, of things they, they don't think are right to them in the eyes of society. Um, so explain like what you do at your church uh, synagogue specifically is a church. Can you say church? You can say church. No, we wouldn't say church. We'd say synagogue <laughs> or in our case temple, but uh, not church. Got it. So at your synagogue, uh, tell them like how your what your approach is. But then there's other approaches, obviously, inside of it, like any religion, of course. Sure, right. Any religion has its has its spectrum from from most liberal or progressive to most traditional or sometimes fundamentalist. Um, Judaism, by and large, is not such a, a literalist or fundamentalist religion. You know, you have to look pretty hard to find a Jew who doesn't believe in evolution, for instance, or education, or so on. Um, but I think one thing that happens with the Jewish community in particular is when people are asked to imagine a Jew, they imagine an ultra-Orthodox male Jew because that's the kind of easiest or most obvious visual representation, but it's not actually the most accurate representation, right? So the denomination I'm part of is Reformed Judaism. The majority of Jews in the U.S. who are connected to any movement within Judaism are Reformed Jews, right? So the face of Judaism looks much more like 
me and the people in my congregation than that kind of go-to image of an ultra-Orthodox male Jew. It's not that they don't exist. It's not that I have anything against them. It's just not representative. Um, so in our community, uh, there's absolute gender equality. There's absolute inclusion of different uh, sexual and gender identities, family configurations, and so on and so forth. And like, like most of the Jewish world, what we're navigating is that balance between um, tradition and modernity, how to hold on to the values and the teachings, which have real um, timeless depth um, and insight and wisdom, whether it has to do with how we treat each other or building rest into the cycle of the week and, and having that, that chance to pause and reset on, on the Sabbath, on Shabbat, um, or you know, teachings about relationships and between the generations and so on. Um, so it's, it's balancing those things that are timeless with how do we speak in the language of our times, which, which Judaism has always done, right? Which any religion, I think, has always done. It's not, are you modern or are you not modern? It's how do you, how do you balance between the two, right? Because if you're totally like the secular world, then what's the point of religion and spirituality? But right. if you're totally closed to the world around you, then who are you talking to? Well, that's the thing. One thing that's come up for me in having these conversations with every single person is that Jesus, for example, like I personally think Jesus was a person that did what we're doing in the sense that we're just trying to elevate human, the human race. We're trying to work together, accept everyone, get your story out there, find out what people are doing. But it's so funny how it's scared a certain type of, well, a, a, a man in power. It scared them so much to the point of killing that person in the name of their law, the law that they created. And it's the law part that also angers people because people start, they start to feel like there's, it's my way or the highway. And yeah, there are a lot of great examples <laughs> of yeah. churches that do that. There are tons of, I went to churches that did that and, and it's sad, but I don't believe, and I'll never believe that that is how God ever wanted anything. Like it's everything, I don't know, I never believe that. So that's why I had a hard time through my navigation. Now I'm pretty, I love my spirituality and I love talking to people about it and i don't uh i don't challenge people but i also don't want them to think that's one way of something like i do work in india and people often like cringe when i say that and i'm like i don't know why you're cringing you've never been there but they're mm -hmm. going off of an example of what they think it is i'm like but you have to go experience you know, there's so much to say about that. I'm, I'm thinking about what you're talking about, you know, Jesus in history. And, you know, it's true, the Roman Empire was not a fan of any kind of popular movement that would challenge it. And anytime you get power, whether it's mixed up with, with uh, you know, politics, religion, any of it, you're going to have a whole series, as we know very well, Turning. right, of complications that, that come with that. Yep. Um, yeah, so that's that's not fabulous. But I'm thinking also of what you said in terms of going to do work in India. And there's this saying in the Talmud that you're not you can't judge what your own eyes don't see, right? Judaism is very much a this worldly religion, and we see it as our role to help work together to improve the world. Like for us, that's a big part of spirituality. Um, it so it has to do with ethics. It's not limited to ethics, um, but to improve the self, to improve the world to get us together to a better place. Um, and our 
you know, one, one can't overgeneralize, but a big part of that is asking questions, is debating, is not just speaking, but listening, learning with and from one another, not being afraid of being exposed to, to different points of view, right? Um, so it is, that's a really important aspect of it. You're not meant to check your brain at the door. Um, you're really meant to come in with good intention and assuming good intention of others wherever possible, but working and questioning and, and just making things better to the utmost of our abilities. We're not meant to be, to be passive bystanders in any way. No, not in the slightest. And, um, you know, experiencing what we're experiencing in America right now, what just happened at the Capitol. And it's, you know, I didn't not think that wasn't going to happen. It was a matter of time. America, unfortunately, was not built on the greatest, <laughs> greatest example of working together as a human race. Like they did it. We did a lot of bad things to get to the where we are right now. We also did a lot of great things. There have been a great moments, but I think because of specific parts of religion, because religion plays a huge factor in the world as a whole. And I think some people just latch on to the anger of it and stay there and they can't get out of that moment. They don't, they don't have that moment or breath of fresh air to like hear or see, but also we do it, we also socioeconomical reasons, people stay where they are and they're comfortable. They're not gonna leave. They don't feel they can leave. Um, and it just, and then they go to look to the person that they rely on and it's someone most likely, most of the time it's at their church because that's a safe place for people to go and feel welcomed and comfortable. Um, uh, when, what gear did you um, become the rabbi at your church, at synagogue? At your synagogue? At this place in particular or in general? Yeah, this in particular. Oh, I went to university in Montreal. I went to McGill years ago and fell in love with the city, with the okay. diversity of the city, with the energy of the city. It's as cities go, it's not a huge one, but big enough to have lots of universities. It's bilingual, so there's French and English together. Um, it's just a very, very dynamic place. And to serve at the only reform congregation in a city with a pretty large Jewish community to me seemed to be a really good opportunity and a really good challenge because we really do have a very particular um, mission and vision of, of inclusion and of connection with our neighbors, both Jewish and non-Jewish and social justice and all of those things. And so we have the ability to say yes to people that other people say no to, whether it's interfaith couples or queer couples and so on. Um, and that's a really kind of meaningful thing, I would say. Uh, but to go back, if I can, to a second about what you were saying about the role of religion, especially in politics, and believe me, your neighbors to the north are kind of holding, we're holding our breath as our hearts are, are breaking, and, and also really thinking about some of this, right? Like when people say, well, this isn't who we are, well, to what extent is it who we are broadly defined, and what do we need to take responsibility for? What do we need to change? Who needs to be in the conversation? Who hasn't been there so far, right? Those are really important questions, I think, both politically, religiously, ethically, societal, you name it. Um, but one of the best definitions of religion I've ever heard is that our role is to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. And I think that's really yeah. Ooh, I like key. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember speaking to a United Church minister towards the end of his career when I was at the beginning of mine, and he said, you know, looking back, I worry that I've spent my career ministering to Pharaoh instead of the Israelite slaves. Mm. 
And so you think to yourself, like, am I doing what I and what we are called to do? Are we disturbing the comfortable and comforting the disturbed? What voice can we add when there's so much going on? And, you know, most religious leaders, we're not experts in politics, even if we think we are. We're not experts in economics. We certainly shouldn't think we are. Um, but we are experts in, in hope and we are experts in community, right? And we, we are kind of growing experts, we hope in spirituality and all of those things. And so that question of what, what we can offer, I think is also important. Yeah, when I started going to, so a friend of mine started his own Unitarian chap, church. It was really small, but he happened to be starting at the time we became friends in 2011. And so I was like, all right, I'll go. And then I started going and I realized like, okay, these are my people. And then um, he often, because he's very, very hot-headed, <laughs> and I love him to pieces. But he's a good—he's good in the sense that he's a fantastic. He's for me, he's a good spiritual um, leader, and he's someone that I looked up to very, I look up to very highly, and I can sit and talk to him for hours. But if someone came to our church, the first day, it was just like first day. Sometimes I'd be like, oh God, what's he going to talk about today? And uh, sometimes it'd be really like, well, all right, all right. I was like, just so you know, it's not always like this. <laughs> but he really was good at combining the two. But it sounded pretty like, you know, to the point, like really direct. And oh, this is the work we need to do and get done. And and this is this is the example. So um I, I value that when it comes to people that are leaning in their faith establishments, because I at least know you're human. I've gone to too many places where it's so like disconnected. I was like, I don't, I can't get into you because you're not allowing me to, you're not letting me like, you're just keeping it. So it's what you're telling me I must do. And uh, I find that very interesting because I think uh, I don't really think that makes a good leader in a sense. No, I don't so one of the things that I love about Judaism is that rabbis aren't intermediaries between the congregation and God. We have no special standing in that way. The word rabbi means teacher. So wow. we're meant to be learned. We're meant to keep learning our whole lives. Um, but we don't have like, uh, we don't have God on speed dial more than anybody else. There's nowhere in the synagogue that I can walk that somebody else can't walk. Nothing I can do that someone else can't do. Um, and so... Of course I'm flawed, we're all flawed. Of course I'm human, we're all human. Now the trick is you need to then not say, well, it's all about me because it's not, right? That would be antithetical to what we're trying to do. But to the extent that I can say, hey, I'm in the trenches with everybody else, right? I've been married, I've been divorced. I had the great good fortune to be remarried. I'm a mom, um, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, I'm a human being in this world, right? Because so much of, of what I think we come to when we're looking for religion, or as you put it, looking for, for your people, is you want to know that, like I said at the beginning, that you can bring your whole self, that you're going to be understood on your good days, on your bad days. You know, you want a religious space to be one where someone says, how are you? And you don't have to say fine, right? You can, you can be honest about who you are. And in some ways, obviously, we're all challenged with that, um, being in two dimensions rather than three right now. Um, but it is possible to still have community in these ways right and to be there for each other and I feel like right now it's so so important uh is your wife Jewish and your children like how was that what's the situation in the household 
Yeah, she is. She is. She um, was born in Canada, but her parents are both Israeli um, and like many Israelis, very secular. So she grew up with Hebrew. She grew up with some traditions. Uh, finding her way into synagogue life is a new thing for her, but I think she's fabulous. Awesome. And your how's your kids? Uh, they're great. My kids are very different ages. One is almost 17, one is 11, and one is just a year and a half. Oh, so um, wow. <laughs> We got all ages and the stages. Of the top right there, like, wow. Yeah, wow. all ages and stages. And you know what? They're doing exactly what they should be doing in terms of, of keeping me on my toes and helping me remember that not everybody sees the world like I do. And, you know, I sometimes joke and it's very true. I can speak at the synagogue and, you know, hundreds of people will listen to me and I can speak at home and nobody will listen to me. Uh, and that, that keeps you humble. It's a good thing. <laughs> so, I mean, that is the funniest that's it. Cause they're like, Oh, we really know who you are. And, uh, no, that's so funny. Yeah. You can capture like a people, a hundred people and then you go home and it's sometimes it's probably just chaos. And you're like, I listen, everyone plus during COVID it's all, you know, it's been an interesting adjustment for everyone in their lives. So, um, that's for sure. What that's, else? We're really fortunate. We really are. I, I, um, we're the same I my blessings every day. Me too. Me and my husband as well. I was like, we're very lucky. He works from home. I do all of this. I can do this. We had to get out of the cold, which is why we came down to Florida and we just got a house and we stayed in there and we're, everyone thinks we're going on vacation. I go, I promise you we're not going and being stupid. We're literally in our house, but it's 65. It's warm, 65 degrees versus 30. So I hear you. Not so warm here. Yeah, no, it's cold there, but it's so beautiful in Canada. Canada is like one of the, because it's, some of it's so untouched that it's so beautiful to experience. Um, but the winters, they are, this is cold there. <laughs> you guys have some cold temperatures there. Warm um, on the inside. Right. So what, um, when you, what's some, tell everybody, like, what are some of the things that you have elevated inside of your synagogue? Like, did some people leave? Did some people stay? Was there, was there ever a, a moment there when you were uh, the transition? I don't know how you guys do the transitions inside of a synagogue, but it, for us, it takes about a year and a half or something. And then the, and then that's all for us. It's just a different Unitarian faith. Um, so I don't know. What was it like? Cause it was even interesting just bringing in someone new to ours. <laughs> so we have two people <laughs> and the older people that were like 90, 85 that had been there since the beginning. It was an interesting dynamic to bring in. Um, so yeah, what was it like? Listen, you come to a new place, you have to be respectful. Right. There are people who have been members of this congregation for generations before I came and who will be here for generations after I go. Right. Um, so in my mind, it's just kind of basic humility and common sense that you come in and you do a lot of learning and you do a lot of listening and and you hear from people. What do they love about their place and what's challenging for them and what's and you learn the history. You know, I'm really Fortunate. This is a place that's been here since 1882. We're one of the first reformed congregations in Amazing. Canada. We've got this great, um, proud history. Martin Luther King spoke here. There's this uh, amazing oh. history of like interfaith dialogue and social action and learning. And, you know, so, so you, you can't come into that and feel like, all right, you know, now I'm running the show and here's what I want to do. Um, and I'm really fortunate that the Rabbi Emeritus has been incredibly encouraging and that helps with the transition a lot as well. So I've been here now over eight years, but I'm still in some ways the new kid on the block, you know? Did you go there um, first or did you 
or did no, you? No, I, after ordination, I served a congregation in New York City for nine years on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Okay. Um, and, you know, I've said before, I'll say again, the truth is that, you know, in New York City, there's like a lesbian rabbi on every block. So it's not I such know. a novelty, it's which, I know. <laughs> which helped in coming here where it was more of a novelty. And it, it helps just realize, well, it's not it's not my shtick. It's not my issue as much. There's other people who need to get used to it. And, and then we're going to we're going to keep moving forward. Um, but it really living. like there's such richness. We've got 90 members over the age of 90. Right. So we've been doing these oral histories to hear people's um, life stories. And we've been having our younger members take those histories. So we because one of the great things about a religious community, I think, is you can help make those relationships between generations, right? So we'll have one, let's say we've got a queer wedding couple being called up for a blessing the weekend before their wedding. And then there'll also be a couple who've been married for 50 years uh, called up on the same night and celebrated on the same night. So to me, that's a great, it's a great source of strength. Yeah. Um, funny you say that about the lesbian on every corner and it's like, uh, the synagogue. It's true. Cause like even my, my church I go to, well, the, Head of education, she's a lesbian, and then uh, one of the uh, pastors is is a gay. And like, I don't, I don't think about it. But you're right. Like, you have to be like, okay, not everybody is. That's not how it works in the real world. Like, especially people that are in their 90s and um, coming from a place, hopefully, of open arms and open hearts and open minds. Um, yeah. And but- really, for the most part, that's true. I think because of the groundwork that was laid, because of of how our our movement has traditionally been oriented. Um, there was there was room to move. Otherwise, they wouldn't have hired me. I think. Exactly. I think that's fantastic. Um, do you guys plan on staying there for a, a while? I hope so. It's a it's a great community. It's a great partnership with the congregation. It's a wonderful place to raise a family. Um, so we're we're certainly not looking to to make a move anytime soon. Uh, did you enjoy your time in New York City? Loved it. Loved it, and also. What's that? I lived there for 10 years and my husband over 15. So yeah, so so you know it, right? Like it's it's an amazing place to be. There's kind of a feeling that there's always something happening. There's always someone coming in to kind of live their dream. And there's an energy like to that that's like unlike anything else I've ever known. And I would say, like, um, I've never been a person who feels like you can only live in New York. You know, I was happy to come back to Canada. Um, and I'm happy to raise my kids here, I guess, especially the past four years or so, it's felt like like the right place to be. I would say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we've had some some folks moving up here from the States. We've had some oh, Texans and some Floridians. And, of course. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, listen, it's certainly not perfect, but it's a different, you're starting with a different baseline. And, oh, um, yeah. I mean, it, it's not. There's nowhere I'd rather be. But let's be real. Like, if you were to pluck out pieces of the world, like, my husband and I always joke, but, like, we're like, all right, if this person gets to the next another four years, we're going to like Sweden or Switzerland or something because our Canada, we're out. We're just out because I can't, I can't handle it. But you know, that's uh, yeah. the case. No, it's now. funny being here these past years. You know, I have such admiration for my friends who are there and fighting the good fight, uh, and religious colleagues especially, right? People who are poll workers in in Georgia yeah. for that very long day. People Oof. who are helping make these changes happen, right? Because because not everybody can just stop and leave. So. No, I don't. I don't personally. Yeah. We joke. I don't think I ever would because I do. I do the work, and I like the work that I do, and it and it keeps it going. And I have to. I have to be here to really make that happen. Once COVID hit, is gone too. I mean, I was set up to go all over the place and do this, but 
Uh, that will happen again at, at some point. I, I like being in person and talking to everybody. It's much better. Uh, I like getting in front of 100 people, 200 people and talking. It's just a better feeling. But um, yeah, no, you can't, you can't replace that. And on the other hand, right, the silver lining is we end up in conversations that maybe we would have never otherwise had the opportunity to have. Exactly. It's also a lot more affordable for me just to Zoom with you. <laughs> yeah. Was well, fun, but more affordable. Exactly. It is less fun. Um, well, you're, you're, um, the work that you're doing is fantastic. I, I'm so glad I found you um, just on the internet. Uh, the articles that I've written on you are really cool. I believe the picture that I saw though, is that inside, I, I'm assuming it's in your synagogue. Let me look at it again. For the gay and once divorced title. Oh yeah. Um, my parents hated that title, by the way. <laughs> what do they always have to talk about the gay thing? I'm like, wow. Oh, well, because that gets people's attention. It does um, people's attention. It's, I was going to say, it's really pretty inside of. Um, it's a beautiful space. Our building it's is a beautiful really space. Really pretty. Yeah. Has it always looked like this or has it gone through? No, it? we had a big fire uh, mid 20th century. And so we'd started off as like this um, Romanesque classical architecture. Um, and then got rebuilt in the 50s, kind of modern style. So depending on what you like architecturally, you either like love both. it or hate it. But I've, I've grown to love it. Um, there's a lot of light. There's a lot of openness. The image of the tent on top of our main sanctuary with all this light coming in. And the idea is that, um, like our ancestor Abraham and Sarah's tent, that people can come in from any direction and there's an opening. And so I love the imagery of that. I really do. I've always valued and loved um, Judaism. I think the people I always meet are, humans in general, I always meet are pretty awesome, but specifically when I really get specific on like the religion inside of the culture that someone's taking on and really get in there and like sit down with them, eat with them, talk with them and, you know, and really get involved. That's this amazing aha moment that you're just like, everybody wants the same thing. Everybody wants to exist. Uh, truly, I do. I know there's a lot of bad people that do a lot of bad things, but I really do believe that everybody wants just to be together and and uh, love and understand. Um, but circumstances just arise, and it gets because when I when I first went to India and did uh, a couple of years ago, I do queer LGBT work over there. I can't describe to you why I keep going back there. I just have to keep going back there. And um, it's like no other place I've ever been. And they have a lot of <laughs> gods and goddesses and they have so many things to like keep up with. There's um, actually a really old Jewish community in India as well. It's a fascinating- I've heard story. of that actually. Yeah. It's so cool. Like, But I've never been, I would love to. You would, uh, yeah, it's just, um, I'll go back once everything is cleared up and continue to do the work I do. I, I work with Prince Mavendra Singhal. He's the first openly gay prince oh, wow. husband, and I work on their campus, the LGBT campus, which is in the middle of nowhere, but it's where the par the palace used to be. And well, it is still there. The palace is still there, but it's the, the town. They basically, it was their town. And they made it an LGBT campus and they're doing, wow. they have education programming and, and they also grow castor oil and cotton and it's right on like one of the holy rivers. It, I don't know, it's just so unbelievable. So I recommend going there and uh, highly recommend going there. 
But I think what you're doing is awesome. I would love to fly and visit the city and be there and experience. I think that's the next phase in this. Um, this is like part one of queer religion for me. So mm-hmm. part two uh, will be definitely getting involved and like being a part of your experience with everything. And that's getting involved with all the people that I spoke to. And oh, you would be welcome anytime. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, can I throw in just like a couple more things? I'm going to ask you, I'm going to end on one thing too, but yes, go ahead. Okay, fabulous. So the two things that I'm thinking of from our conversation, um, one is that, you know, the commandment that we have more often than any other in the Torah in our sacred book is to love the stranger because you were a stranger. Um, And there I think, you know, Judaism is a religion, but we're also a culture, we're also a people with this long and sometimes painful not always, but sometimes painful history. And so I think that there's a built-in empathy that's on us to embrace um, and that that can be part of the voice that we bring to the world. So, you know, a few years ago, there was an opportunity for religious institutions in Canada to sponsor Syrian refugee families. And that was an opportunity that we that we jumped at. And there were people who said, well, what are you doing as a synagogue sponsoring Muslim families from Syria? And I said, my religion isn't about like, what does somebody believe and that's going to determine if I help them or not. My religion is about how do you act in a crisis? How would you want somebody else to act to you in a crisis? And so that just seems to me such a fundamental religious insight. And I feel like, you know, for better and for worse, we've got that historically as well. We have that that lesson. Um, And the other piece is I just so appreciate what you're doing because as much as, as we were saying at the beginning, like there are queer kids who are like leaps and bounds ahead of where I was. I didn't come out to my early twenties, like uh, way, way behind the way many people are going now. took a long time. Um, And it blows me away when I'll meet a couple who are getting married and it's like never been an issue for them. And they've been out since they were 12. And it's like, it's mind boggling and amazing to me to see. And at the same time, I know there are so many people who, you know, queer teens and trans teens, especially, who just have it so tough right now. And, um, you know, every now and then I get to talk to grandparents whose grandkids are transitioning and, and I can try and help them as they're navigating that and getting new language and understanding things in new ways. But like, I think that something like what you're doing is so important. Um, because I know that for people to listen to this, for some of them, it's still going out on a huge limb and it's big and it's scary. And, and I hope so much that they can, you know, it's, it's cliche, but they can see that it can get better. It really can. And, and they're not alone. That's it. That um, there, uh, there have been, it even, yeah, it takes, it takes some of the students, youth that I talk to, it takes that, even that courage to even do that, right? Like for just to have a conversation with me or to share a piece of work that they do to express themselves. Cause I do a, I do a lot of like um, entertainment and like, how do they write original songs and poems and just express yourself that way. I never say don't, you don't have to tell me your name. You don't have to tell me where you're from. I just want to let someone hear this so they know that it exists for them. Yeah. And that is the only reason why I do my work. A big part of too, as you mentioned, uh, trans kid, another part of why I started the podcast as well is because someone I don't personally know, but my dear friend of mine's uh, met them through a project they were doing and their nine-year-old son committed suicide. And they came out and the family accepted them, but their friends did not accept them. And so the mom came home and found their nine-year-old 
dead. And you're like, I will never stop doing any of my work because that is unacceptable. Suicide in general is, but a nine-year-old to go to that extreme happens a lot. And um, I'll never stop doing the work because of that. And I, I just find that so unacceptable as a society. I find a lot of things unacceptable, but that specific moment for a kid, heartbreaking. A kid um, to be, they want to be themselves. And then, and I, I run leadership programs for queer youth. Like I, I lead conversations in leadership with queer leaders that are like really young. Um, and I love it because one thing I tell them, as I said, the only reason why people don't like you or if they come across it, they don't like you is because you're actually being who you are and they haven't figured that out yet. And you're only like 10 or 11 years old. And that to people blows people's minds and they hate it. It's a thing that triggers people because you're being so authentic and you're discovering who you are at such a young age that you inspire me and you'll inspire everybody around you. So keep going. That's all I say. Your mouth to God's ears. Can you please give some words of wisdom for my queer listeners, my queer youth listeners, um, anything you want to say? Gosh. Don't worry, everyone always does this, but I do it for a reason because it'll come out as authentic, you know, it'll come out as- No, I believe you. I, I think about that, that, you know, phrase that would be on buttons and pride marches back in the 90s, like God made me gay. Right. And and if you are wondering whether there is room for you in a life that includes religion and spirituality and religious community, the answer is yes. And if it's not where you are right now, don't give up and keep looking because you want to be somewhere where people don't just accept you and don't just tolerate you, but know that the community is better because you're there. That's great. That's what I got. That's it. That's perfect. You know, one time someone said to me, words of wisdom, words of wisdom, drink water. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Stay hydrated. Is I'm lifting my Wonder Woman cup that my daughter brought me for water. I love it. Um, uh, where could people reach out to you if they wanted to reach out to you and find you? Oh, I'm easy to find. Um, I'm on Facebook. You can share my email with your listeners if you want. Um, and right now, all of our services are online. They're on Zoom, right? So if somebody just wants to, to dip a toe in and to see what they're like, they're more than welcome to do that Friday night, Saturday mornings. Uh, everybody's welcome. What's the website? It's www.templemontreal.ca. So pretty straightforward. Thank you. Awesome. Thank That's you so much. This was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Rabbi Lisa. Really appreciate that conversation. And like uh, Rabbi said, visit templemontreal.ca if you want to reach out and just have a conversation with them or um, find them on uh, online. I will leave all that information for you in the description of the episode. And of course, I'd like to thank my honor sponsor, Michael J. Grabowskis. And I'm your host, Anthony Giorgio. Thanks for listening to another episode of QT, Queer Teen Podcast, encouraging the next generation of queer youth from across the world to stand up for what's right. And remember, listen, learn, love.